God's Word now together. Ruth uh, chapter 2, wonderful uh, passage, the first uh, 13 verses of chapter 2. And uh, this is God's Word to you because you are His beloved children. Now Naomi had, uh, let me just pause, sorry. If you haven't been here last for chapter 1, what's happened so far is uh, uh, there, there's a couple, uh, two women who are widows who were living in the land of Moab, which is uh, east of, of Israel, in uh, the southern part of Israel. And uh, they've just migrated. Uh, they, they have, they're poor, they have nothing, uh, and they've come back to Judah, the southern part of, Is- of the land of Israel. And uh, they've just come back to the town with nothing, and they're going to meet a man named Boaz. So that's where we're picking up in the story, okay? So now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi uh, from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field uh, that they are reaping and go after them. I, have I not charged the young men to not touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me, that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner." But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a a people that uh, you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word and how challenging it is to us and yet comforting to us at the same time. And so uh, we pray that you would uh, both challenge and encourage us now as we commit our minds uh, to study your word and to think about it and to apply it to our individual lives and to just into the life of our community here at Christ Church. And so we pray for your spirit to teach us and to guide us into all wisdom. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're looking at a beautiful little passage of the Old Testament that models for us how to care for the poor. 
which is a really important uh, topic for us as a young church. As I mentioned, you know, we're a new church. We're uh, forming a diaconate, which uh, one of the main things that the diaconate does is kind of leads the church in its service and care for those who are in need and, and for the poor. And so this is a big area for us as a young church to develop in uh, how we care for the weak and for those who are in need for a couple reasons. First reason is because, anyone, of course, anyone who's read the Bible, read about the ministry of Jesus, Jesus knows that caring for uh, the least among us in our community, the, uh, you know, not just the financially poor, but the outcasts, the homeless, the disabled, the sick, the mentally ill, the orphan, the widow, caring for those is an integral part of uh, being a disciple of Jesus and about being a church. And I'll just tell you, you know, in a place like Bellingham, uh, as we try to, you know, announce the, to Bellingham who Christ is and what the Bible teaches and what, who God is, most people in our generation actually don't care so much that you can prove that the Bible is true. Like, if you're a very philosophical, logical person, you can prove to someone that the Bible's true, they probably won't respond that much to it because actually the main thing that they care about is not so much, can you prove to me it's true, but does it make a difference? And for many people, they have questions. I'm not even sure that the Bible's good for society, good for a community, good for people. And so the question is, what difference is it going to make in, in my life? And what difference is it going to make in our community? And that's one of the things that they are looking at, ask, looking at us, asking about, is what impact does the Bible have on us and our relationship to the community around us, and especially those in need? So this is a big question uh, we need to think about. But also as a young church, we have to think about how we go about caring for those who are in need and, and for the poor. Because this is actually something that... Uh, you can really mess up and do poorly. And actually, many Christians have done poorly. And part of the reason that Christians can have a tendency to, to care for the poor in a way that is not really healthy or helpful is because for many Christians, they say, well, yeah, Jesus said I need to care for the poor, and I got my list of spiritual things that Christians do, and I need to check off my care for the poor box on my spiritual resume. And so actually, it's, it's not that I really love people and care for them. It's actually really to serve myself so I can pat myself on the back and feel like I really did something good. And that kind of motivation actually drives a lot of our care uh, for those who are in need. And that's not the vision that the Bible has in the least. So what we have here in this passage uh, is a beautiful passage where these two women who are, uh, have nothing, they're widows, they're outcasts. One of them's a foreigner has come to this land, and they meet this man, Boaz. And it says about Boaz in, in verse 1, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And a Boaz, that, that word, he's a worthy man, is it really, it's, he was like a mighty man, which, you know, there's different things on what that could mean, but what I think it means in this passage is really, he was a well-respected member of the community. Uh, we know he's a landowner. We know he had employees who worked for him. He had a certain amount of wealth. But he also had a certain character to him. He was very respected for the way he treated people and uh, the way he treated his employees, the way he treated people who came into his property, and he was known for that. Boaz is just a tremendous model for us as we think about how do we as a congregation care for those who are in need, uh, both in our own congregation, in our own midst here, in our own walls, and outside of our walls. Okay? So this morning, um, we're going to study, we're going to look at five principles that this passage gives us. Uh, uh, as we explore our own calling as a church to, uh, to care for the poor. 
and to think primarily about the question, how do we do it well? How do we care for the poor in a way that is really beneficial to them, that is life-giving to them, and is not just a way of serving us and making us feel like righteous, good Christians, okay? So, five principles. The first is this. Caring for the poor must be by the leading of the Spirit. It's a priority that, our, that when we go to care for the poor, we realize that it is the Spirit who is leading us. It is God who is caring for the poor, not us. And we are following his lead, and we are partnering with him in his care for the poor, because he's ultimately the one that cares for the poor. And, you know, you look in this passage. So here's these two women. They show up in Bethlehem, and they have nothing. And so uh, Ruth says to Naomi, I'm going to go into one of the fields, and I'm going to see if I can collect some extra grain that's left behind and see if I can get us some food. And so Naomi says, okay, go, do it. And then in verse 3, this is what it says happens. I love this little verse. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And so there's this thing, actually, in Hebrew, when it says uh, she happened to come to the field, it, was, it says, by chance's chance, she showed up in this field, and it was, you know, just by luck, she showed up in the field that was Boaz, who happened to be a relative, and then Boaz, behold, he showed up at the same time, and they met each other, and it's, you know, it was, it was just by luck, and of course, you know, it's, as the Bible teaches, there's no such thing as luck, right? It's the Lord who orchestrates all things according to his purposes. And he had orchestrated these things. He had brought Boaz to Ruth, and he brought Ruth to Boaz. And so when, when Boaz met Ruth, he realized that she had been brought to him by the Lord. And so it was following the Lord's spirit and his providential care is the main thing that we need to do as we think about uh, caring for the poor. And um, the reason why this is important is the beginning of caring for the poor is to realize our limitations. We simply don't have the resources to care for all the poor and all the needs they are, but God has the resources. He's the father to the fatherless. He's the husband to the widow. And actually, this is the way that Boaz, when Boaz starts to care for Ruth, and he's very generous to her, this is in the end of this passage, verse 12. Listen to what Boaz says. The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord. The God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Boaz says, even though I'm giving you grain and I'm caring for you and I'm feeding you and things like that, it's actually the Lord who's doing it. And I'm just kind of playing my role. I'm a partner in what God is doing. And um, this is an important thing for us to recognize as we think of, of caring for the poor in our midst and in our community because if you, you know, just took a survey and you went to, you know, some of you maybe have done this, and you learned a little bit about poverty in Bellingham. I mean, just Bellingham. Bellingham's a, you know, you know, middle-sized town in, in the United States, the wealthiest nation in the world. You would all, even here, you would realize there's far more poverty than you would know, have the resources to deal with or even the wisdom to deal with. And that's, that's just Bellingham, let alone thinking of all the crises that are happening throughout the majority world. As soon as you enter into caring for the poor, you will find that the task is overwhelming. And that often happens for people as they're overwhelmed and they're just discouraged and they leave it. Because actually what they haven't realized is it's God who's the one who has to care for the poor. We, just, we come along and follow the Spirit's leading to play our role and to focus in and ask the question, what is the part that we're supposed to play? What is the place that we're supposed to focus on and that this is the one area where we can make a difference as a community? And we need to ask the Spirit, we need to ask for God's hand to lead us 
in this. And so the question for us is, who is it for us as a congregation is, the God, is God leading us to care for? Is it a, you know, where's the Spirit leading? You know, there's a number of, of, of uh, answers uh, to that. Um, and the first thing is, you need to look at the people that are right in front of you. You know, Jesus talks that way in the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Your neighbor is who you're supposed to love for, the people that God puts in your life. But um, also, we need to ask the question of, you know, where is the Spirit even working in our church? You know, we have uh, uh, Michael Wadhams working out on the Lummi Reservation. The Spirit's working there. He's come from South Africa. God's called him here to work up in this corner of the world through our church. We have uh, 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 Eric Ravel and Corey Harrell and, uh, and Christina and, and Tommy are all working at the, at the Lighthouse Mission. They're already working there. The Spirit's working there, opening doors to care for people who are homeless and in need. We're right next to a school... That may, maybe some of you don't know, there's a Title I school that 70% of the kids that are in Birchwood Elementary right next to us uh, are on you know, free or reduced lunch. And at, uh, at Shuxon Middle School, every evening they serve meals to, to uh, families in our neighborhood uh, every, uh, every day, every day during the week. So we've actually been plopped in, into a, a, a corner of Bellingham where there's actually quite a lot of poverty, a lot of people living uh, at or below the poverty level. And so we have to ask this question, why has God placed us here? And so as we enter into a new phase of our church and a diaconate is forming, and as we begin uh, to care for our community, that's one of the first things we have to ask, is where is the Spirit leading? It's not just us coming inventing new ideas of things that we want to do to make ourselves feel good. What is God calling us to do? Okay? So that's the beginning of caring for the poor, is caring for the poor must begin by, by, by following the leading of the Spirit. But the second thing we see in this passage is really interesting and important, really important point, is that caring for the poor is primarily about relationships. What does it look like for our community to care for those who are in need? It looks like building long-term invested relationships with individuals. And uh, I'll tell you, that's an important point because that's not often what it looks like for Christians to care for those who are in need because our main point isn't, oftentimes isn't to love people, it's, it's to make ourselves feel good. So we do things where we do something nice for someone and then we leave them alone and we've checked off our box. But there's no long-term relationship with them. And actually, if you don't care for those in need through relationships, you can actually do great harm to them. I'm, I have a story about, um, and I think this has happened many times before, about a, a, a huge slum in uh, Kenya. There's a tremendous amount of poverty. And uh, about uh, a charitable, you know, American charitable organization that came in, they came in with their truck full of food and t-shirts, and uh, and the crowds of people are coming to the come into the truck and they're handing out food and they're handing out t-shirts and everyone's loving them and everyone's smiling. They're like, wow, look at all the desperation. We're helping these people and we're being so generous. And uh, now there's sometimes where that's absolutely appropriate. You know, when you have a relief effort, you have a tsunami, you have, uh, you know, refugees who are, you know, fleeing uh, ISIS or something like that. There are times where you actually need, they need resources. But in some places where it's not an immediate crisis, you have to know the people that you're caring for. And what, what these people didn't realize is they're handing out food and T-shirts is that all the, there's all these entrepreneurs in this slum who are actually trying to start businesses in this slum by selling food and T-shirts. And do you think you can compete with free food and T-shirts if you're an entrepreneur? <laughs> no. 
your whole business has just been undercut. And actually this whole slum, the only hope for this slum, for, for, them to, uh, for employment and for businesses to develop, the only hope for it to develop is being undercut by the, uh, by the aid and the people who are wanting to care for the poor, the Western people. And the reason why is because they don't know the people there. They haven't built relationships with them. They haven't learned from them about, we're here to serve alongside you and to be apart from you and to learn from you. And so caring for those who are in need, it is essential that we have embraced the reality that we can only do that well by building relationships with individuals and getting to know them and them getting to know us. Building a sense of trust and partnership and friendship. And this is one of the things that we see with Boaz that's so amazing about Boaz is that Boaz does that. He has a long-term investment in Naomi and Ruth. He knows them and cares for them over a long period of time. He's going to see them to development. And so we have to ask the question, how do we build those relationships with people in need? Where do those relationships come from? And a couple of things that we see in this passage is that, is that first, you, we have to focus on existing relationship structures. There are existing relationship structures that God has built into societies and into our lives where, that are there for us to care for one another. And you see this, look at verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field about the reapers, and uh, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So Elimelech was her father-in-law, and so she actually has a connection to this clan and to Boaz. There's, um, there's, it's not like Ruth is just some random stranger that Boaz happened to in invest in. He, there is, there's some relational structure there. There's an existing relationship. And what often happens it, when we decide we're going to care for the care for those who are in need is we go out and we try to first meet a bunch of strangers who we can care for, who we have no relationship with, and we kind of barge into their life and say, you need us to help you. But where the Bible starts is we start with the relationship structures we already have. And you just think, just take family structures. Take everyone in this room and your extended family throughout Whatcom County. And the number of people that are connected through those extended families, that is quite a network of people that God has put in place for us to care for. And so that's the place for us to start. Who are people I already know? Who are people I already have relationships with? It's not just your family structures. Of course, our church structure. There's people here caring for people in our own walls, but also in your neighborhood. If you're put into a neighborhood and you have a neighbor who's in need, that's the first kind of place that we want to care for people in need because you already have a relationship. You're going to see them every day. You're going to be able to follow up with them. You're going to be able to get to know them and build trust with them. And so we want to support that. Instead of starting a new kind of artificial ministry, we want to start there, right? Or in your workplace. People share with you in your workplace needs that they have. Respond. Hear those needs. And begin to pray, how can I play a part in that? How can I care for this person who's in need? Do not just leave it there. That relational structure of your workplace is something that God has put in place in order to care for that person so that we don't have to invent new relationships. And so the place that we start is with existing relational structures. And when we do that, we can have a sustainable ministry to the poor, right? Because we already have those relationships. We're not inventing new relationships. But also, the second thing we have to focus on is the community of the church. If, if caring for the poor is about relationships, it's primarily about building relationships with those who are in need, 
we have a tremendous resource right here that we have a community and a family that we can bring people into. And this is, I, I love this about this passage. Um, so uh, look at Boaz, verse 4. Boaz comes to this field that he owns, and it says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. You know, it's just a great work environment. You know, there's, they're all believers. They all love the Lord. And it's like the owner comes, and they bless him, and he blesses them, and, and, and they're praying for each other. And it's actually this community of believers that Ruth's coming into that she's going to be supported by is a bunch of people who love the Lord, right? And, uh, and you see this uh, in, in verse 8. It says, And then Boaz, said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field uh, that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And what, see, what Boaz is doing is he's not just caring for Ruth by himself. He's bringing her into a community that is uh, of people who love the Lord who are going to care for her. It's a safe community, too. He says, listen, you're going to be safe here. You're going to be protected. And it's not going to be just by me. It's going to be by my young women and my young men who are all blessing the Lord together. And uh, and you're going to be a part of that. And um, I'll just tell you, for people who have really acute needs, Relational needs, financial needs. Uh, you know, they have a lot of development they need in their life. It's very trying for one person to individually care for them. They actually need a community to come around them of multiple people with different gifts to come and invest in them, you know, like a home group or something. A home group can come around them and say, I'm going to care for this person. And, uh, and you know, you think of uh, the main people in our culture who are caring for those who are in need, who are the poor, are, are social workers. And for many social workers, you talk to them, I mean, they're, bless them, they're just doing tremendous work and such a blessing to our community. And yet, you have one person who has a whole caseload of people that they're trying to care for. And I was just talking to Daniel about uh, caseworkers in foster care, who oftentimes there will be kids that don't have a place to go and it's the weekend. So what do they do? They bring the kid home. The kid doesn't have anywhere to go. And, and by themselves, they're trying to carry a, such a tremendous load. What God intends is to invert that in the church. Instead of it one person caring for a community, it's a community caring for one person. How much more healthy is that? How much more hope is there? How, much many, how many more resources are available there? And that's what God has developed in the church for caring for those who are in need. And I'll just tell you, you know, if any of you have worked with people who are coming out of homelessness, one of the biggest struggles, you know, if someone uh, has been homeless, and let's say they're, you know, living in a tent community in, in the woods or something, you know, behind Fred Meyer or something like that, and they decide, you know, I'm going to get out of this. I'm, I'm done with being homeless. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get an apartment. I'm going to get clothes. I'm going to get my life together. And many of them make that decision, and it's, it's a noble act, and then they get a job, they get an apartment, and they're in this new routine, and then what's their life? They go to work, and then they come home to their empty apartment, and they're by themselves. And the reason, for most of the reason, they go back to the tent community and say, even though I was homeless, even though I had nothing, and even though I was poor, at least I wasn't alone. And what other group of people has the resources to provide a community for someone coming out of that in our culture. No one. God has made the church for that. And so we actually have the resources to care for people who are going to do that development. We actually have that resource if we have the heart for that, okay? And so, 
the question is, okay, that's not just up to Nate and Daniel or up to the deacons. That's up to us as a whole community. How do we be the kind of community that actually provides that uh, for those who are in need? And this is the third thing that we see in this passage is that care for the poor is an act of obedience. It must be a principled act of this is, I am a Christian and I care for the poor, whether I want to or not, because God has commanded me to, so that's what we do. And uh, that's, that's Boaz's spirit in this, in this passage. Look at verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Who's, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Uh, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Now, if anyone's studied the Old Testament in any detail, those words, gleaning, sheaves, fields, would be triggering something for you in your mind. And it certainly triggered something for Boaz because uh, listen to Leviticus uh, 19.9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edges, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes from your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 9 is clear that if you, if you have a landowner and you have fields and you're harvesting the field, you leave a bunch of food in the field so that the poor can come and get it after you. That's commanded by the Lord. The Lord says, I'm the Lord your God, you better do it. And all Boaz is doing, we look at Boaz and we say, what a beautiful, how beautiful. Here's this man, he's a respected leader in the community, he's wealthy, he has employees, and here's this poor widow, foreigner woman who comes into his field and he gives her such attention and care. All he's doing is what the Bible told him to do. He's just obeying Leviticus. <laughs> And that's part of what, how we become a church that actually cares for poor is we say, of course we do that. If need comes into my little sphere, God brings need into my sphere, I respond to it. I don't turn my eyes away from it. I don't close my ears to it. I respond to it. This is the thing, though, is that we have to guard against, is if we simply say, okay, the Bible says to care for the poor, so I'm going to do it, how do we not kind of develop a superiority where we're the righteous Christians who are going to go care for the needy, broken people, and we're going to be helping you. We're up here, you're down there, and you're needy, you need our resources. How, if we're just saying, I'm obeying the Lord, this is what the Lord's told me to do, how does it not just become a religious duty? Just a, how do people not just become projects? How do they become human to us? Um, how do we have eyes to, to, to love them? Well, again, Boaz is a great model for us. And this is the fourth thing. Is that, so let me just review real quick. Caring for the poor, it, we first have to follow the Spirit. It's the Spirit who leads us because God's the one who cares for the poor. And caring for the poor is primarily about relationships. We need to be prepared as a church that as we care for the poor, what that means is we're building long-term relationships with individual people who we know and know us. 
And the reason we're going to invest in those relationships and the thing that causes us to do that is simply an obedience to the Lord. First, that's the first thing, is that he tells us to do it. And so we love the Lord, so we do it. But the fourth thing is that caring for the poor involves seeing their gifts. It involves seeing God's grace in their life. That's a key part. And um, look at verse 10. Then she fell on her face. This is uh, Ruth. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? So she's saying, you're this wealthy guy who's got all these fields, and why are you even paying attention to me? This is what Boaz says. Amazing. Verse 11. But Boaz answered. Now, and look at what Boaz doesn't say. Does he he say, oh, because you're you're a pathetic woman that I'm going to care for? Is that what he says? No, it's not what he says. Listen. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given, uh, given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What Boaz says is he's heard about Ruth's generosity, that she's a, a brave, courageous woman, loving and he was impressed by it. And he's learning from her. And he is amazed by her. He sees God's grace at work in her life. And, I mean, imagine that. Here's this wealthy landowner saying to this woman who's an outcast, who's poor and has nothing, who's a widow, who's a foreigner, comes from a different religion, and he says, I'm impressed with you. He sees God's grace in her life. And that is a, a key thing. You know, it's interesting. I, I maybe have mentioned this before, that uh, in... Uh, Spoiler alert, in Ruth, uh, Boaz and Ruth are going to fall in love. And uh, so, <laughs> sorry to tell you. And, uh, and, but one of the things that's interesting about, about Boaz falling in love with Ruth is there's many love stories throughout uh, the scriptures where you know, people fall in love and they get married. And generally, uh, the narrator will say something about how the woman was very beautiful. And that's why the man fell, fell in love with her. And it, very rarely the Bible talks about physical features of, of people in the scriptures. We, you know, we don't know what Jesus looked like or anything. But it's interesting, in this whole book, we don't hear any word about Ruth's appearance. It never says she's beautiful. That's not the thing that drew Boaz to her. It was, it was God's grace in her life, God's work in her life. And that was so compelling to him. And he saw that in her. And that's an important thing for us as we care for the poor is to see God's grace and work uh, in the lives of the poor. And actually, I, I, I read a, there's a great book called When Helping Hurts that talks about caring for those who are in need. And there's a story in there where the author, the author's about, he's like 6'8", white guy, bald. And, um, and he was, his church was kind of on the border. Uh, it was, his church was this, kind of upper-middle-class, white Presbyterian church, and they were right boarded up against an apartment complex that was largely African-American, lower income. And they had, their church had always been kind of trying to reach out to this community and no luck, and there was just barriers. It was very hard. They were hard to build relationships. So they had this new idea where they were just going to simply go door-to-door in this apartment complex and ask people, what are you good at? We just want to know what kind of skills, what kinds of things you're good at. And so he goes, he tells the story, he goes to this one door and he knocks on the door and this five foot two woman, you know, he's six foot eight, she's five foot two, opens the door out the crack. What are you doing here? What do you want? 
And he has a little script, and he says, I'm from Community Presbyterian Church, and we're here to find out what kinds of things you're good at. And she says, you're here to what? And then, but as she says that, her friend is in the background, and she says, she can cook chitlins like there's no tomorrow. And she kind of smiles. She's like, well, I mean, I guess I can kind of cook. He's like, oh, you can cook? Cool. And then they start, everyone in the background starts telling all the things that they're good at, and they invite him in. And here's this giant, you know, white dude in, in the south, is in the south, and he says, this doesn't happen. They bring me into their living room and just welcome me in. And they were welcoming him in. And they were being hospitable to him. And they were saying, well, Joe, you know, Joe knows how to fix a bike. If anyone needs a bike fix, bring it to Joe. And Mac, he can work on cars. And, and he's like, wow, this is great. And he's just learning, wow, you have all kinds of gifts and graces. It's not, oh, you're the poor who have nothing to offer. No, you have a tremendous amount to offer. And that's what we want to see. And that's what he wanted to see. And look at what happened when he approached those in need that way. The, the barriers were broken down. The r- racial barriers were broken down. The socioeconomic barriers were broken down. And that there was genuine relationships. And they're sitting around laughing and talking. And friendships are being built. That never happens in the, in the culture. It's, a, it's an amazing um, thing for us. And so how do we become those kind of people who make that turn from a sense of superiority where the poor need us to help them to we're broken people in need of grace, just like the poor. And we just we want to build relationships and together grow in the knowledge of who God is together. How do we become that kind of community? And this is the last point. This is the fifth point, which is maybe the most important. That caring for the poor comes from seeing ourselves as poor. Caring for the poor comes from seeing ourselves as poor. And grace is actually an important word in this passage. Look at, at the, both at the beginning and the end. Verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. That word favor, that could be translated grace. It's an Old Testament word for Grace. Let me go see if I can find grace somewhere. And then in verse 13, then she said, I have found favor, grace in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And what Boaz was doing was he was caring for Ruth was simply an extension of grace. He, was, he had received grace from God and he was extending that grace to others. That's what it means to be a Christian is we receive God's grace and we extend it to others. And I put a quote for you on page three of your bulletin. If you want to turn there, this is from Tim Keller. He's got a great little book called Generous Justice, which is about caring for the poor. And this is, this is what he says. To the degree that the gospel shapes your self-image, you will identify with those in need. You will see their tattered clothes and think, all my righteousness is a filthy rag But in Christ we can be clothed in robes of righteousness. When you come upon those who are economically poor, you cannot say to them, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, because you certainly did not do that spiritually. Jesus intervened for you. And you cannot say, I won't help you, because you got yourself into this mess since God came to earth, moved into your spiritually poor neighborhood, as it were, and helped you even though your spiritual problems were your own fault. In other words... When Christians who understand the gospel see a poor person, 
They realize they are looking into a mirror. Their hearts must go out to him. Uh, their hearts must go out to him or her without an ounce of superiority or indifference. That defines us. We are people who have received grace. And so as we, as we come to this story and we say, you know, actually, who am I in this story of Boaz and Ruth? Right? Because we've been saying that Boaz is a great model for us. But the truth is, we're not Boaz. We're Ruth. We're the foreigner who were, we were far away from God and we didn't know him and we were helpless and we couldn't provide for ourselves. And, you know, on a whim, by how, you know, it happened to come that the Spirit led us to, to a community that cared for us and brought us in. Jesus is Boaz who's been generous and open-handed to us, and actually, we're worse off than Ruth, because Ruth was at least worthy. We were unworthy sinners, and God still brought us in, and he fed us, and he made us a part of his community. And it's when we see ourselves that way that we are Ruth. That is our whole life story. We are Ruth brought near. Then, uh, we become uh, the people that God has called us to be, to care for those who are in need. And so, Let's embrace that as a church, okay? This is part of our calling. This is part of the next steps for us as we grow and we mature. Uh, there's going to be opportunities, and the Spirit is going to lead us. And uh, let's respond with obedience, with relationships, with love, and uh, remembering who we are in the gospel. Let's pray together. Our Lord, uh, we thank you for uh, the truths in this passage. Um, would they shape us? And we thank you indeed that uh, though we were so helpless and spiritually poor, you have come to us. You, Jesus, became poor, that you uh, dwelt among us. You took our poverty, that in you we might become rich. And so I pray that that story would define us as a church and that uh, we would, that those who are in need, those who are weak, those who are hurting, those who are outcast, would come and find friendship they would find uh, the love of Jesus in our midst. And that we would, together with them, grow into the, the knowledge of the grace of God and be transformed. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.